So, but I have uh, the task, the job. It's a blessing to close up our series this morning on the Psalms. Uh, we've been going through this the last couple months, and we've covered a wide variety of topics from psalms of worship, of reconciliation, of forgiveness, uh, various topics recognizing God's authority, his holiness, his forgiveness, you know, all these things uh, from a couple different authors as well. And it's hard to choose one to close up the series on, but I think I think I found a good one because uh, there's a lot of qualities of God. I mean, I we could, I could sit up here and just ramble for an hour if you want me to, but I doubt anyone would like that. So uh, I'm just going to cover a few today in uh, one of David's psalms. And, but to get there, before we get there, let's get into the right mindset of how to approach the psalms, how to read the Word of God. Because today I recently, or not today, but uh, I recently finished a book by a former uh, Navy man who turned athlete after he got out of the Navy, and uh, he just shared his life story from growing up in an abusive home, and then growing up in poverty, went to went through Navy SEAL training three times in one year, only person to ever do that. He, he was so convicted to, like, better himself that in between deployments, in between other, you know, training, when you're, when military guys take time off, he was like, I want to go do something else. And so he went and joined the, the, the Army Rangers for their training in the Appalachian Mountains. Like, this guy was kind of crazy. So, uh, and after that, after he got out of the Army or, the, or he got out of the Navy, he wanted to become an athlete, and he started running, and he did marathons. And did you guys know there's a longer race than a marathon? They're called ultra marathons. So a marathon's, what, 26 miles? Ultras start around 80 and work their way up to, like, 130, 140, 150. So could you imagine running for 24 hours straight? Yeah, me neither. Um, but in his book, he shares his whole life story and about how he got to that point. And one of the things he says, and it's a common theme throughout his book, is how you have to make yourself vulnerable to better yourself. Because as much as people think that is like a weakness to be vulnerable, it's really a power. Because when you're vulnerable, you find your weaknesses, you find where you need your strength, you, you find where you need to strengthen yourself. And I feel like what better way to approach the Word of God than being, making ourselves vulnerable? Because if you're like me, you may have the problem of, I don't want people to see where I'm vulnerable. And this is common through all people, is like we don't want to appear weak. We don't want to appear that we have faults. We don't want to appear, you know, our darkness. We don't want that out. And so today we have this thing where we, I guess we just build up walls around ourselves, you know. And we only let people see what we want them to see. I mean, I work with a lot of teenagers, and this is basically textbook social media. It is highlight reel only. My life is just all this fun stuff. You don't see the daily battles I face. It's really easy to do it online. But at the same time, in the church, 
it's also, it's almost like a virus in the church where we, I don't know where we got it in our minds that we have to be perfect. We have to look like saints on Sunday morning. We have to look like we have it all together. When in reality, the church was created for those people who don't. I mean, Christ said it himself, you know, a doctor does not come for the, the, the healthy, but he comes for the sick. In the same way, the church is not a, uh, a collection of saints trying to fix the world. No, it's a, a collection of sinners who know they're sinners trying to grow in faith. Yet, yet, throughout this series, the whole theme of this series through the Psalms has been being honest with God. And I feel like to be honest, you have to be vulnerable. So that's what we need to do this morning. So this morning, I'm going to say a quick word of prayer before we dive into our psalm. And our psalm today is 139. If you have your Bibles, we're going to dive into that. And we're going to cover some qualities of God that David recognizes. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, uh, as we open up your word and we, we read about your, your greatness, Lord, uh, I pray you open up our hearts, open up our souls, open up our minds to what you have to say to us, Lord, and remove all distraction. Lord, help us to choose to be vulnerable and let you in. Lord, we love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So, uh, Psalm 139, uh, David is writing this, and he's going to recognize some qualities of God, and we're going to go through it real quickly, or not quickly, but we're going to see a few qualities, and you're going to, maybe you can name these, because at some point, some theologians, you know, those fancy people who studied the, the Bible, and they make up new words, they made up words, or they just chose words for these qualities. So starting in verse 1, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out from my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me too lofty for me to attain. So let's take a moment and look at this because he's, he's, he's saying out a lot of things and the, the main purpose in the word, he's praising God's omniscience. Omniscient. He's praising that God is omniscient. So this is a fancy, this is one of those fancy theologian words where basically it comes from the Latin of two words, omni meaning all, or universal, and the word sire, which means to know. It's where we get the word science. And uh, David doesn't say this at all. He doesn't say omniscient, but he describes it in detail. He's basically saying God is all-knowing, and here's, how, here's what God knows about me. And he kind of describes it in different levels of tears, and this is very common. You know, you think of some of these aspects, and they're pretty normal. You know, it says, you know when I sit and when I rise. And you don't have to be a, you know, a fortune teller to know this. I don't have to be a prophet to probably say, all you people who are going to work tomorrow, if I go up to you and say, hey, you're probably going to sit down at some point. It doesn't make me a fortune teller. It doesn't make me a prophet. You shouldn't throw money at me because I know that. Okay? Some of these things are common. 
you know. But he ramps it up. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Now, anyone who's a parent of kids or you've had kids, wives with immature husbands, if you've ever made uh, cookies and brought them out and set them on a plate on the countertop, warm, and you know that your kid comes in and they're eyeballing them, you don't have to be an expert to perceive what they're thinking. You know, that's, that was me as a kid. It was, as soon as I could smell them, yep, I'm going after it. But what David is talking about in reference to God is like, you just don't perceive my thoughts from afar. You know what I'm thinking. You know it exactly. You know, he's saying, God, you know all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. David understands that God's knowledge is great. It's vast. It is unexplainable. You can't really, you can't put words to it, even though we kind of have, but it's, it's even more than what we can fathom. And that's what he says. He's like, it is too wonderful and too lofty for me to attain. I can't get to that point. I can't get to that point. And I don't know about you, but I know there's a plenty of people I know who don't like being told what they can or can't do. You know, that's the whole, you can call it human nature, you can call it us being stubborn, and we are. But even the smartest people in history, they couldn't fix some of the stuff. They couldn't figure out everything. They don't have all the answers. I mean, not to everything. You know, you can take the, the greatest expert in science and physics and all sorts of that. You give them a wrench and tell them to fix a vehicle, they can't figure it out, you know, sometimes. But uh, even the smartest people, and you know that you can be smart and still be prideful and to the point where you can't tell me what I can or can't do, you can't tell me I don't know that, you know, that type of stuff. But David's saying, I am content. And he's saying, we, we need to be content. Psalm 147. Uh, David says this again. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. His understanding is infinite. Because the fact is that God not only knows our words and our thoughts, but he knows us much more than that. Like, you may know your family, your friends. They may know you. You may think you know you. God knows you better. God knows you deeper. Jesus once spoke to his disciples in Luke chapter 16, and he was speaking, and he was talking about, he was talking about money and being honest. And in uh, Luke 16, verse 15, he's saying these things, and the Pharisees overheard this parable, and not, I don't have time to get into the parable, but you can write it down and go back. But the Pharisees, they didn't like what Jesus said, and they heard it, and they, you know, got angry, as Pharisees do. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, You are those that justify yourselves before others, but God knows your hearts. What people highly valuable is detestable in God's sight. You know, we attain to be a lot of things. We, we attain to be uh, successful in life. Maybe we attain to be smart but God wants you to be content that you'll never aspire to be like God. You'll never be able to understand things like God. You'll never have his knowledge. 
And we have to be content that we'll never understand God. Because once we are content that we never understand God, we'll find peace. And David, I think, is writing this from a place of peace. Because he goes on. He goes on in, in this psalm and he recognizes another quality of God. Verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. So he's using more words. He's, he's using a lot of poetry, and it's kind of beautiful when you, t- when you look at it. But he's talking about the vastness of God and that he cannot escape God. He cannot run from God. He cannot hide from God. Because God is everywhere. God is everywhere. And he's basically saying, God, you are ever-present. And the word for this is omnipresent. Omnipresent. That God is omnipresent. He is all places. He is everywhere, ever-present. Anywhere we can go. We cannot run from God. And this is a quality that's been tested multiple times in the Bible. As early as creation, you remember the story? Adam and Eve found themselves to be sinful and, you know, had to realize, oh, we're not wearing anything, and then went, put some stuff on, and then hid from God. How do you hide from somebody who's everywhere, you know? And at the same time, God walked into the garden and said, ask the rhetorical question, because honestly, he doesn't need to ask it, where are you? They are the worst hide-and-seekers, I tell you what. But, uh, what about after David? After David, Jonah, that was a good story. Jonah was given a task, and he says no, and then proceeded to sail the other direction. You know, you can't run from God. You can't run from God. David understands that God's vastness and he understands it to some degree. He's like, "Where can I go from your spirit? You're going to be everywhere." These are, again, rhetorical questions. Where can I flee? I can't. We can't. Surely the darkness will hide me. But darkness is nothing to God. We cannot hide from God on top of how he knows our hearts. He is everywhere. Jeremiah 23, 24 says, Can a man hide himself in secret places so I cannot see them, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth? And we've probably all heard this because this is what I think it more is more important than, you know, God being everywhere. We can accept that God's everywhere. He created the whole universe. I mean, he's pretty big. But what about the idea that God wouldn't come to me because I am at my lowest? Like, I feel farthest from God. I mean, how many of you guys have heard that from somebody who said, oh, you don't want me in your church, too, done too much? You know, uh, I, I can't remember if it was this year or last year, we had a preacher at camp telling all these high school kids. And he did it comically. You know, he said, oh, all you kids who think God can't forgive you because your sins are too great, 
He's like, some of you guys are like 16, 17, 18. You guys haven't even started sinning. <laughs> like he's, uh, that's what he says. He's like, you guys haven't done anything yet. You may think you have, but you haven't. Because he, he was talking about the, you know, especially you look at people like Paul who had people killed. It's like, calm down, guys. God's there. But, it, but he's speaking on truth. He's that idea that when we are at our lowest, when we feel like we are surrounded by darkness, like God cannot come to me. I am so low. And there's so much that it could be. It could be addiction, hopelessness. It's all these different things. God's still there. I mean, let's take a look at the words of Paul. And uh, JP quoted or read a little bit of Romans 8, probably my, one of my favorite chapters in the whole word. Romans 8, 38 through 39 says, And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Paul said it very frequently that God loved us so much that to bridge the gap that sin creates, he sent his son. Not for the saints, not for the heroes, not for those who have it all together <laughs> as much as we think we do. He sent it for the broken, the sinful, those who are lost, those who feel like they are in darkness. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what Paul says. So even when we feel like we are the farthest from God, like God's not there, he is. He 100% is. Because darkness is nothing to God. Even when we are at our lowest, God is with us. Even when we are, feel like we are the farthest away from any hope, God is with us. I mean, David knew that, and we'll get into that. <laughs> Let's go on. Uh, verse 13. He says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He's talking about his creation. Not like David's creation. I mean, he kind of mentions that in a way, but he's talking about God the creator. Like, God is a creator. And he created something far more impressive than any human creators could ever make. Like, everything. He made everything. <laughs> like, that's impressive. He's saying that, God, you are omnipotent. Omnipotent, which omni, all, potent, mean powerful. And what more can we say about <laughs> who made heaven and earth? Like he, That's pretty stinking powerful. I can't do that. And he says that, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I like the parallel to Paul in Ephesians 2, when Paul says, for we are God's workmanship, created anew in Christ Jesus. David praises God's power often. In a previous psalm, in 147, verse 4, he says, He determines the number of stars and gives them all their names. 
kind of like that Chris Tomlin song, uh, but, uh, but it rings from truth. And, he, and David says here often, your works are wonderful. Because at the same time, in, you know, in Genesis, when after God finished creating the heavens and the earth, he said, and it was good. His creation is good. He's an expert craftsman. Here's the thing we need to consider. If his creation is good and we are his creation, then we were made good. When I think of that, when I think of the fact that God looked at us and said, that's good. He looked at humans and said, oh, that's good too. Like God's love for us dates back to when we were created. Like this, is a, this isn't a psalm of like just recon, recognizing who God is. It's a psalm of joy in who God is. We need to find joy that God is powerful. We need to find joy that God's everywhere. We need to find joy that God knows everything. Because you look at all the things the Bible tells us about the character of God, the teachings of Jesus, and the love they had for us, that even in our darkest days, how can we not find joy in God? How can we not find that? And here's the deal. Let's get a little bit real this morning because it seems like sometimes it's hard to find joy today. You don't have to be an expert in what's going on in the world to see that there is a lot of darkness. There's a lot of heartbreak. There's a lot of hopelessness. Uh, there's just a lot of apathy today. And I know the biggest, the biggest argument today is the fact that, I guess, against the idea of God that people are like, if God was so good, then why is the world so bad? And it's, it, it can be a tough thing to answer. But when you focus on just the bad, everything looks bad. But when you find joy, you're going to see the joy in the world. You know, you create a narrow lens and you only see what you want to see. And David's over here, he's like, well, I'm, I'm looking at the good qualities of God and I see it everywhere. And that's what we're talking about. When we're changing our whole mindset, being vulnerable, we've got to look at what we need. And right now, we need to know these qualities of God and know that our God is great. But you don't have to be an expert to see the heartbreak in this world. I mean, you don't have to be an expert to see how many kids live in broken homes. You don't have to be an expert to see that hopelessness and apathy runs deep and sometimes it's an inherited the parents struggle, the kids will struggle, it's, it's, and it's heartbreaking as people who are empathetic. And the fact is, the world is in need of hope. The, the world is in need of hope, and we, and we need to step up and be the ones to show that our God is a God of hope. Because once we understand that the world is broken, and the only hope for the world is Christ, like our joy will be in Christ. That's where it comes from. And it's not a joy that will go away on a bad day. It's a joy that we can tap into even when we feel like we're the farthest from God, even when we feel like the, we are the weakest because God's powerful. God's m so powerful. We, so when that, that argument comes up, that idea that God makes mistakes, that this isn't, this isn't right, because the world, if it's broken, then God can't be true, and maybe God makes mistakes. That's not true. I quoted Paul in Ephesians 2. 
But I really like this because he says, we are God's workmanship. The NIV version says, we are God's handiwork. The ESV, it says, or it's, yes, ESV says we are God's handiwork, but the New Living Translation in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, we are God's masterpiece. And I like that because if God's master craftsman and expert creator, experts don't make mistakes. Experts don't make mistakes. And David is saying that God is a great creator. And a great creator, an expert, even if we sin, even because the world is broken, even because we fall short, but God doesn't make mistakes. We make mistakes. We're not God. God does not make mistakes. So we got God is all-knowing. God is everywhere. And God is powerful. And David closes out this psalm with one more quality. Verse 17, he says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries, they misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? They abhor those who rise up against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So David finishes this psalm by recognizing this big quality of God. And here, this is a very important one. I mean, they're all important. They're all big. There's stuff we can never attain to, but this one ties them all together. Because a God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere, I mean, that's a powerful, impressive God. But without this last quality, he's not good God. But thankfully, our God is. Because the last quality David is speaking on is that our God is holy. Our God is holy. He says that. He says, how precious are your thoughts, David is proclaiming this in such a way that he's trying to use the, the human means. The human means. He's trying, to be, he's trying to do it the best way he can. He says, if only you would slay the wicked, because, you know, that achieves righteousness. That achieves holiness is getting rid of the wickedness. He, and he's trying to do it in the human way. Do I not hate those who hate you? Now, be, this is very interesting. But another psalm, he says... Psalm 99, verses 1 through 3. The Lord reigns. Let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. You see, David's trying to use whatever descriptions he compares himself to to basically describe God and to achieve likeness with God because he knows men are wicked so let's drive them out that's what Israel did Israel was constantly at war with pagan nations pagan pagan countries pagan people and he did what he could as a king to drive them away I mean he did that he killed you know wicked men 
Like if, I guess if that was his resume, he'd be like, see, God, I, I'm doing that. And he says, I hate them because they hate you. They misuse your name. But read that it, it, does, it says, I hate them because they hate you. It doesn't say, I hate the, the same people you hate. It doesn't say that. Because David knows that wickedness is kind of the adversary of God. Because wickedness and holiness, they don't get along, and God drives out evil. Now, that's a word that we throw, I feel like it's thrown around maybe too much, the word of evil. And uh, that's a very important word that we get to know here today, because I feel like it's, evil is not much of a tangible thing. As much as we probably think of, oh, I've seen plenty of evil, you hear about it. It doesn't take much to turn on the news and hear about something evil going on in the world. But I like to think of it as like the scientific definition of cold. You know, cold, uh, it's got a weird definition because it's all about perspective, you know. For example, the other day when it was like 60 60 degrees in the morning and sprinkling, some would say, that's cold. For me, who grew up in the north, I was like, that was a good, nice day. You know, that's not cold to me, but... uh, The science defines cold as absence of heat. Absence of heat. You compare that to evil. Evil is not bad. Evil is the absence of good. We know when it's not there because we see what it creates. And let's go go real. If evil is the absence of good and God is good, evil is the absence of God. And we may not always know when we see good things because good and evil are perspective. You know, for one person's good is another person's evil. You know, it's all about what we see. But the whole world can recognize great evil. They know that's wrong. Doesn't stop people from participating in it. But David is calling out, test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting he's calling out god more of you in me lead me drive out any evil because the more god the less evil peter wrote the same thing in his first letter first peter chapter 1 verses 14 through 16 he wrote as obedient children do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. David's calling out, God, you're holy. Make me holy. Lead me to be holy like you are holy. That's the same thing God calls for us. Be holy like God is holy. Be holy. Because without God's holiness... Man, what are we? What are we without God being holy? So when we look at this whole psalm, and I have, you know, I told you I have the blessing of closing out the whole series. So I've got two, two tasks today. Is let, one, let's look at what this psalm means to us. And number two, we're going to look at what this whole series means. What all of the psalms, if we can wrap it all up together. And it's crazy when you got the longest book in the, bar, <laughs> the Bible, 150 different uh, chapters on psalms. The big thing to take away from this is this. David says, God is all-knowing, and we are not. 
God is everywhere and we cannot be. God is powerful and we are weak. And God is holy and we fall short. Now, I'm not saying that to be down. I'm not saying this, that we need to dread on that. Oh, we are a fragile, uh, finite people where God is infinite and greater than we are. I mean, he is. Let's recognize that and be glad that God is God and we are not. Because if we had his power, man, we'd abuse it. We'd abuse it. You remember that movie? Uh, gosh, all, the Almighty movie? But, yeah, man. You know what he did as soon as he got power? He used it to look out for number one. You know, that's what I was like. That is basically picture perfect. If we had God's power, what would we do? We'd get to work in one second, you know, and that's it. Like, oh, you know, get rid of everyone out of our way. That's what he did. Man, that was, whew, he looked out for just himself. But this isn't something to dread on. Because here's the deal. As much as we want to be the best Sometimes, I mean, some of us like to be the best. Some of us are content with who we are. But we don't have to know everything. We don't have to be everywhere. We don't have to be powerful because we have a God who is. And we can rely on him. We can look to him. We can, we can praise him. And as for holiness, well, he makes us holy. He makes us holy. He makes, makes us holy through Christ. Thank God he sent Christ for us. He gave him up, put him, had him on the cross. Had his blood spilt so that might separate the gap that sin creates between us and God. Man, what a blessing is that. So as I close out uh, and we get to the point where we're focusing on this series as a whole. Man. Let's talk about being honest with God for one second. Because uh, Bobby gave me the choice on what to talk about, and I feel like this is the perfect, not probably not the perfect, it's a good psalm to look at. Because how can we look at the qualities of God and realize that we cannot match him? We cannot match him. We cannot measure up at all. And I am thankful for that. And I got, I got, I think of one thing, and uh, as I get ready to close out, I'll ask the worship team to come up on stage. And uh, I think about this last thing. I wonder if David wrote any psalms that didn't make it. You know, how many of you guys have ever, like, wrote poetry, stories, and then, uh, you know, you, may, you either type it up, you write it down, and then, nope, throw it in the trash, throw it in the fire, get deleted all. Plenty of times, you know. I mean, I, I, t I think I told somebody I once wrote a sermon and then on like Saturday night, I, I did a practice run and I'm like, yep. And I deleted the whole thing and started over. And <laughs> it was just not, we get to that point where I can't share this, it's too deep. I can't write this, I can't do this, I am not this. That makes me look stupid, that makes me look small, that makes me look weak, that makes me look fragile. I wonder if David ever wrote anything and he's like, I got to throw that out. Because you know David put up walls. You know, I mentioned that. We put up walls in our life and we try to hide who we are. We try to let the darkness around us not let people in. David put up walls. There was a big part of his story where, you know, he made a big mistake and he impregnated a, preg or a, a married woman. And then he tried to cover it up. 
and it did not go well if you remember the story you know and he kept trying to build up these walls and fix his mistake and whenever you take you know whenever you see your sins and you try to take it into your own hands to fix it doesn't go well so he had the woman's husband killed and then God came to him and said oh I'm gonna lay your sins out in the open for everyone to see but he offered forgiveness and David was still called a man after God's own heart. See, David knows that whether or not you think you have a choice, you have to be honest with God. Because you may put up walls between you and others. You may try to put up walls between God, but God pierces through them. God will tear them down. God already knows what's behind them. We have no choice but to be honest with God. And once we master the idea that I can't hide who I am from God because he knows our hearts, he knows our intentions, he knows every deep, dark secret. Once we can we get that and make it solid in our minds and in our hearts, then we can move on to the, the task of making it real by being honest with others. By being honest with others. I mean, have you, any of you guys ever ventured into the Catholic Church much? I mean, I got to go every once in a while because I've got some family. And uh, they have these confessionals, you know, and one of the problems I have with them is this. And I'm not, I'm not trying to insult the church at all. It's just one problem. You go into this room and you, can, you vent all your sins. And, and that, that's good. We need to confess. But the problem is the, you're doing it anonymously. You don't know who's on the other side. They don't know who you are. They tell you to pray for it. Sometimes they pray with you. That's good. But they're not there when you're like, when you get hit with temptation later on in life to do the same thing. Who are you going to call? You can't call them. They don't know who you are. When you need distraction, I'm about to, I'm about to throw some fists. Who are you going to call? You need to have people in your life who you can lean on, who you can call on. You need people you need to be honest with. The problem is, so many times we vent without accountability. We, have, we don't want people in our lives. We're going to keep those walls up. Sometimes we let people peek in and we pour it out. But Christ didn't create the church so that we would vent to each other and that's it church is here so that we would rely on each other, that we would sharpen each other, that we would trust God more and in turn trust each other more. Church, it's about time we stop putting up our walls. And instead of letting God tear them down, we tear them down ourselves. So as we, uh, as we get ready to close, guys, being honest with God isn't about letting the evil in us out. It's about letting God in and watching him drive it out. So the more of him, the less of that. The more God, the less evil. The more God, the less wicked. The more God, the less sin. So I'm going to get ready to pray and we're going to sing one song. And, and if you're ready to tear down walls this morning, I would happily pray with you. 
if you want to make a decision, if you're tired of trying to make yourself holy on your own and you're ready to God make you let God make you holy, let's, you want to make that decision to give your life to Christ or be baptized, I'm happy to talk to you about that. If you want to fill out a card, you're free to do that. Maybe you just need prayer today. Maybe you just need prayer. You know, you know, there is some struggles. You feel like you're in the darkness. You feel like you're far from God and you don't know how to get out of it. A good thing, you don't have to do the work. God pulls you out. God pulls you out. You just have to let him in. So if you have anything you need to pray about this morning, and I'm going to say one last thing before I pray, and if there's anything to take away in, from this morning, it's this. Our God knows everything. He is so powerful, he knows every deepest, darkest secret about us. All our sins, all our failures, everywhere we fall short, even what tempts us, even the struggles we have, even what we're going to face tomorrow, he knows it. Every dark secret. And still, he loves us. Still, he loves us. Still, he sent Christ for us, and he wouldn't take it back great holy God and that's a God worth singing to Heavenly Father thank you so much for your son thank you so much for what you've done for us Lord Lord we recognize the qualities you have your vast understanding your your ever presence Lord your your power Lord, thank you so much that you are also holy. Lord, we are, we fall short so often. Our lives are filled with so much darkness. We find ourselves so many times so far from you. Lord, I pray that, Lord, I pray you pull us out of the darkness. Lord, I pray you break down walls. Lord, I pray you, Lord, I, I pray you pull us closer to you. Lord, as we sing, I pray for those who feel like they are still in darkness. They still feel like they are struggling. They know what they're going to face tomorrow. Lord, I pray they lean on you. Lord, as we, uh, as we sing this last song, Lord, I pray we remove distractions. We break down walls today. Lord, thank you so much for sending your son for us. Lord, we know your love through your son. And in his holy name we pray. Amen.